0: Hi, welcome to Life Struggles. On this show, we interview or just chat with people who have mental and physical health issues, addictions, relationship problems, and anything else that life may bring you as a struggle. We give hope and our own advice to others from our own achievements. Our goal is for you not to feel alone in your struggle. Our guests range from actors, authors, professionals, and ordinary people like me. At the end of this podcast, if you would please hit our bell, that little bell up there, so that you will be notified of any new episodes that drop. And also, if you would give us a rating, we would deeply appreciate it. And now, please help me in welcoming our next guest. Hi, this is Christy from Life Struggles. Please help me welcome Brian.
1: Thank you. How's it going?
0: Good. I am so excited that we finally got to do this.
1: Yeah, I know. We had a scheduling problem. Um, yeah. You want me to just go into my story? You want to ask me anything uh, about my life? or? Yeah,
0: I'll probably interrupt you sometimes and okay. so go ahead and start your story and I'll do that.
1: Okay, so I've been clean for 14 years and um, born and raised in South Florida, come from a good home. You know, I always like to say that because a lot of times people just assume that drug addicts are from broken homes or dysfunctional families. Yep. And not to say that, um, you know, my childhood was perfect and my family was perfect, but there wasn't any obvious trauma or dysfunction going on in the family. You know, my dad loved us very much. My mom loved us very much. My dad worked a lot, but he was still around. He took us to, you know, football games and we went on little family trips and we lived in a nice neighborhood. And uh, I just believe that I grew up with this disease of addiction. I believe I was born with it.
0: So is there addiction in your family?
1: there is but not my immediate family
0: but down the line
1: yeah you know I mean I think everyone has addiction in their family they really like looked at it I think too so whether it's addiction or alcoholism you know um a lot of times you know 100 years ago people were just were alcoholics and no one really said anything about it you know right just like so normal but um so I uh very early on, just always liked being with the older kids, just always attracted to like mischief and like I didn't want to play with the little kids. Like I didn't want to play games or like play sports or whatever. Like I wanted to like, you know. So like you liked
0: it, what the older kids were doing?
1: That yeah, I always had like older friends and you know, was into what what you know the older kids were doing as opposed to what people my age were doing. And um I kind of never felt like I fit in, was never really good at anything. And was always like the class clown and like a te- and like attention seeking. And, um, you know, in fourth grade, I was smoking um, cigarettes. Wow, and, fourth uh, grade. Yeah. So I had a friend who lived nearby and he was a little older and his parents smoked cigarettes. We'd steal cigarettes from them and smoke them. And um, fifth grade, I was smoking weed. And sixth and seventh grade, I really like came into my own. I thought I was like really cool. I uh, was selling a lot of weed or at the time what I thought was a lot. And um, I got arrested in seventh grade and I started to have to get drug tested. So I started to do drugs that come out of your system faster in order to beat the drug test. So I also coke. So I started doing cocaine in seventh grade and uh, fell in love with it. Um, How could you
0: afford that in seventh grade?
1: So I knew my dad's debit card pin. Oh my. So I'd take out $100, and with that $100, I would buy an eight ball of Coke, and then I would cut it, and then you'd get 3.4 grams, and then I would sell two grams that was cut for, um, you know, I think $40 a gram. So I'd get 80 bucks back just by selling two grams, and i get the rest for free. Well, so
0: then you'd get, yeah, I
1: see. So then I would just keep doing that over and over, and then if I ever did too much and couldn't sell it fast enough, I would just steal his debit card and take out another 100 bucks or 120 bucks but for and years they, and
0: they didn't notice that huh
1: i used to take money from my dad all the time and i used to always think that one day he's going to notice
0: and he didn't
1: I never looked at his bank statements
0: you know i don't remember my parents looking and at he
1: used to take people. out cash a lot too so i think he would just think that he did it he did it so huh. but for years I was like he's gotta just notice and he just never did he well he did eventually <laughs> but um for years he did you know and then um you know I was just always like hustling and breaking into houses and cars and scamming drug dealers or robbing drug dealers so um from an early age so I was just,
0: did you go in and out of jail
1: um, I've been arrested a couple of times, but I got clean at 17. So all of my arrests were either one night in jail or like a paper arrest, but I didn't really get caught a lot. Okay. So by the time I got clean, I've been arrested like four times.
0: Okay. So did and you a lot of times you? I would be
1: young and they would let me go. You know, they would realize how young I was and the cops didn't want to like fuck with me.
0: And this was in Florida.
1: It's all in Florida and Broward County
0: you know that's weird because well actually i i just bought a house in florida last year mm-hmm. so um and i did live in fort lauderdale for 15 years but i met quite a few people that um would tell me how bad the florida state laws were like like mm-hmm. uh, there's one guy that was uh 16 and he actually came from another state he didn't even know he was transferring drugs mm-hmm. He was 16 years old and two two guys came up from, came up to him and said, "Hey, you want to make some quick money?" He didn't ask like what he was doing or anything. Mm-hmm. He got caught in Florida. Mm. Um he, they sent him to prison and gave him uh, the death row.
1: Well, yeah, or or a law in Florida pretty strict.
0: So yeah, so like how how did you just happen to get away with that?
1: honestly, I think just because I think they knew that my family cared and that I was from a good home. And, you know, like whenever I got arrested, like my parents would come right away and my sister would come right away. Um, I mean, I did get a couple of arrests, you know, but um, I wasn't uh, getting, a. I would, I would get arrested like once a year. Okay. You know, so Usually, typically, you know, they'll give you probation or, you know, so I did get probation. I got diversionary. I've done like four different diversionary programs. And I did like, you know, a couple adolescent programs. So they would arrest me and charge me and give me probation or give me a program I have to do. But then I would just fake all my drug tests and keep doing what I was doing.
0: So how were your parents when they'd like pick you up from jail and stuff? Like,
1: did you get in trouble Um, yeah, I mean, my parents were like, I think people assume that my parents didn't care because I was so reckless. So people would meet me or there were times where I would get arrested and they would be like, they're threatening to like call my parents. And then I'd be like, call them, bro. They don't give a fuck. And then they would feel bad and be like, wow, that's really sad. So they would let me go. But in reality, like if they called my parents, my dad where would.
0: Where did me. you learn this stuff? Like did the other guys tell
1: you? Um no, I just was uh, you know, a wise beyond my age, you know, I just always was super manipulative, just, I don't know, I just always could have a poker face and whatever, I just was good at getting out of things, and um, my dad sent me to military school in ninth grade, so in ninth grade, he just had it with me, sent me to military school, I instantly started selling drugs there, oh my and, gosh, Um it was like nothing he did. He sent me to therapy. He would drive me to all my drug court cases. He would bring me around, you know, police officers to try to like scare me. You know, there was an officer who lived down the street from me who he would like, you know, talk with when I was like withdrawing I wouldn't go to school, he would like call him and the officer would force me to go to school. Um, my parents did everything. They sounds broke- like
0: they did everything they could.
1: I mean, they took my car away. they took the hinges off the door. My dad tried getting me stuff, getting me into involved into like you know sports or something like he tried being nice, he tried being mean, he tried therapy, like he got other people to try and help me and my mom cried and took me to church and all sorts of things. People used to come to the, my mom used to have people come over to the house and pray over me. So my mom was like really thinking that like I can you know,
0: feel her pain because I've been there
1: yeah so I mean I think uh, my parents tried everything but towards the end I think uh, my dad kind of just gave up so towards the end my dad was just like oh Brian got kicked out of school again you know like you guys can deal with it I'm not going to deal with it anymore
0: so what actually happened that you decided that you were done
1: uh, the 12-step program 100% so but first, how did
0: you get into I mean you have to so, you have to want to do that to even start so I went
1: to uh I had an intervention at school so my dad I had robbed a, a drug dealer and um he got a hold of my parents
0: you robbed a drug dealer
1: yeah so okay. I mean that was like I probably robbed a hundred drug dealers surprised and, you're alive yeah. I mean, I've had guns waved at me. I've been jumped um, car chases, all sorts of things. So um, this kid, drug dealer, whatever, he was a little older than me. He called my parents and he pretended to be a concerned friend and said that I had stolen $200 from him. And my dad immediately was like, I'm so sorry. I'll pay you right now. And my dad paid him and my dad and he told my dad that I was forging checks because I was at this time. You were? Yeah. And um, so he wasn't dad, lying to your dad. No, he wasn't lying. But I mean, he just wasn't telling the whole story. He wasn't like a great guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Most crack and sells crack and sell right. pills. And um, he my dad went to the bank. And he printed out all these checks that I had cashed that wasn't his signature. And um, when I came home one day, they were all printed out on his desk. And he said, he called me, he said, don't don't leave the house. You know, I'll be there soon. And I left and I got high one more time. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, I bet you left.
1: Yeah, I left the house. And uh, he basically called me and was like, um, you know, where are you texting me? And I came home super high. And uh, <clears throat> for years he would like yell and scream, but I think when I came home, and he saw how much money it was, um, he uh, he tried to hug me and and told me uh, I needed help.
0: I bet he was really scared.
1: Yeah, I think he was just. I think like he would play it off like it's not that bad or whatever, and I think like it really starts. He was in denial, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it really hit him. And the next day I had, I was already on probation and I was already going to a school for kids who get kicked out of school. So I've been kicked out of so many Broward County schools. That I wasn't allowed to enroll in like a regular school. So I was going to like this learning center and um, the therapist, the therapist, the case manager uh, were both there and um, my parents came in. My dad had all the checks printed out. And they said, you know, do you want to say anything? And I just started crying. I said, I'm addicted to opiates. And uh, they got on the phone and they found a detox for me. And I went to a state funded detox um, in Fort Lauderdale. And while I was in there, like nobody told me about addiction. Nobody told me that I could get clean. No one talked to me about recovery. Um, it was really just like people would read my chart and just like have this look on their face, like, wow, this kid is like Probably really-
0: that's beyond help, huh?
1: Well, most, everyone, all, I was there on the adolescent floor because I was 17. So okay. all the other adolescents were there for domestic stuff where their parents hit them or they were there for like marijuana or they were there for like a Baker Act or something. Mm-hmm. There, so when they used to come and look at my chart, they used to be like this is the stuff that the adults are here for like you're 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 here on on a on an opiate detox and they would read my chart so I also started smoking crack at 14 so they were like oh and you're also smoking crack like and not like for a couple weeks like you've been smoking crack for four years you know so um
0: that's what my brother ended up with
1: yeah and then they weren't like um oh it's okay like you could get clean they were just looking at me like like what like there was nothing to say they didn't say anything you know they were just like uh it, i could feel that their their reaction was like this kid's fucked
0: how did you feel
1: um like if i had 20 dollars, i would go and get high right now okay so i was just there because there was really nothing else to really do because it had gotten to the point where I had robbed so many drug dealers that I couldn't even get drugs. So even when I did have money, I used to have to pay people to go get drugs for me. And then they would give me like their phone or collateral. And then I used to have to break them off more money to get drugs. So if I was buying three pills for $30, I'd have to come up with $40 to try to like, entice someone to go buy them for me, you know.
0: So what kind of opiates were you using?
1: Uh, Oxycontin and Roxy's. So this is big in like the pill days. So um, I basically, so when I was in detox, (laughs) one of my childhood friends had been trying to get me to read this book. And I didn't know that he was trying to get me to read this book because it's about a recovering addict.
0: Ah, what was it? uh,
1: Do you remember? Yeah, it's Scar Tissue by Anthony Kiedis. Okay. He's the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So, um, my, uh, mom, I asked her to buy me this book and she brought it to me and my dad was not bringing me clothes. He wasn't fucking helping. He didn't care. He was just he was like, done. Oh. yeah, he was done. But My mom brought me clothes and my mom brought me a book. And in that book, it talked about the 12 step program. And he talked about meetings and conventions and going to meetings every day and about how everybody he knows who's clean does something every day for their recovery. And he talked about making the chairs and putting the chairs away and how he had been to all these fancy rehabs and basically say like, you don't need anything else other than this 12-step program. So when I got out, um, I told my parents I needed to go to these meetings. And my dad thought that the meetings were a joke he didn't really care he didn't want me to hang he wanted me to go to like meetings for kids you know my dad didn't want me hanging around like adult drug addicts you know well, let was, me ask
0: you something so apparently you got something out of that book to want to go to the meetings
1: so when I read the book it instantly I instantly thought I need to go to meetings so when I got out of that book uh, I was just so interested in these meetings. I had never even heard about meetings before. I've heard about methadone sub maintenance, but I've never even heard of people getting clean and going to meetings. Like I've never heard anybody even say that. Uh, yeah, like,
0: and I guess what I'm saying is you didn't want to get
1: clean. So there was something, there must have been something I don't think I even wanted to get clean. I think I just wanted to go to the meetings. Oh,
0: you wanted to go to the meetings and see what they were about? You're just interested. I, I don't
1: think I was like I'm, gonna, I'm I don't think I was like I'm going to get clean and go to the meetings. I think I was like, oh, I'll check out these meetings. They seem cool. Okay, I got it. <clears throat> In my mind, getting clean felt like um, being on a diet for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: to me, it was like, well, everyone has a cheat meal. You sure. know, to me, it's like, you might, you know, I might be clean for a couple of months, but come on. I mean, are we really gonna stay clean forever? Like, and I was so young, I was like, I couldn't even get clean. Like, To me, getting clean was like being clean for like a month. Okay. So maybe for the next month, I'll go to these meetings. That's kind of like as far I was even thinking about, maybe a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. till people stop like looking at my every move, like my parents, you know? So getting clean was just like this fictitious, weird thing that, you know, like Lindsay Lohan got clean, like Paris Hilton was getting like, you know, to me, like drug addicts, like me and like regular people don't get clean forever you know that's crazy so um funny
0: how we call ourselves regular people i I do the same thing
1: yeah i mean like
0: i interview i interview a a lot of hollywood stars mm -hmm. um producers that kind of stuff
1: yeah i feel like they have I always
0: say and then there's just regular me
1: yeah well i feel like they have all the resources and Like if they wanted to get clean, they could just go on an island forever and fucking relax and get massages and leads and hop on a jet, do whatever the hell they want. So like when I would hear about celebrities getting clean, it wasn't inspiring. And I was like, well, of course they could get clean, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. Especially when you hear the places that they go to. Yeah. And then you
1: even would hear that they couldn't stay clean. So I'm like, dude, this guy can't even stay clean. He's got all the money and resources in the world. So if that guy can't stay clean, how would I stay clean? Right. You know? So, um, um, what was I going to say? No,
0: we're going on to how you like finally got.
1: Yeah. So then I started going to meetings and, um,
0: they must've been interesting to you.
1: They, as much as I would sit there and think that they were just like strange or weird or whatever, there was just something about them that made so much sense. And I just kept going and kept going and um I'm pretty were you
0: staying clean while you were going to them.
1: yeah so I was pretty intellectual so like I thought that I could like figure out why it wouldn't work and like why it didn't make sense or why it was contradictory or why it was like too religious or why you know wouldn't work for me and there wasn't one thing that there's probably a couple things that I asked questions for and as soon as someone explained it it made sense
0: okay
1: and then You know, I would be like, well, I don't want to stay clean forever. And people would be like, well, no one does. That's why you only stay clean for one day. And then I would be like, well, what happens when I turn 21? And they'd be like, well, Brian, you're a drug addict. You're not going to make it to 21. You're probably going to be dead if you don't get clean. So then I'd be like, well, what happens when I get married? I'm not going to have a drink when I get married. And they'd be like, who the fuck would want to marry you? You don't even have a girlfriend.
0: See, that's how I, I couldn't talk when I was, when I was supposed yeah. to be doing these meetings. Um, and that, you know, that's just the way I was raised. And I, you mm. know, obviously I'm a lot older than you. And so, you know, I was, I'm not going to say prim and proper. And I knew what I was getting into as far as what I needed to do. Um, but I didn't say fucking this and fucking that, you know, and I'm, we're talking 30 years ago when when the word Mm -hmm. "fuck" wasn't every an everyday word okay so when they were using that and I wasn't that they're like see you're not even like us exactly how would would you know whatever
1: yeah and I think when I got clean I had the same kind of concept where it's like you know you've never if you haven't been in my shoes how can you tell me how to you know lace them so Um, I think, so then I got scholarship into a treatment program that was, I didn't really get scholarship there. I got court. So because I had failed the program that I was in, because I checked into uh, a detox center, they had to step me up to like an inpatient.
0: Okay.
1: And um, I ended up doing this inpatient program for six months. Wow. So I did a six month inpatient program um, for Adelaide. And they had
0: the 12 steps meetings in those, right?
1: not really this is oh. for kids so like a lot of these kids aren't going it's 17 and under oh. so a lot of these younger kids you know they smoke a little b- bit of weed and they have mental health problems and they have behavioral issues but they don't really need to go to a meeting you know
0: well i'm so, going to ask you something though if you don't mind mm-hmm. um, so my youngest brother that is still an addict mm-hmm. um And I think he was like 13, maybe 11 the Mm -hmm. first first time. So he started out smoking pot Mm -hmm. and and there was a lot of childhood trauma going on in there. So Mm -hmm. and then there's addiction in the family. So there's all that. But here's what I want to say is that I was the only one in our house that noticed when he came home that his personality was different. And I don't know if that's just something in me, but he didn't look high, okay? His, his eyes might have been a little red, but mm-hmm. other than that, and, and he always ate a lot then, so that didn't, you know, that wasn't supposed to be one of those symptoms. But, it, mm-hmm. but he was calmer because he wasn't a calm kid. Mm-hmm. He, he was an angry kid, and he liked to fight. He loved to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, he loved to throw rocks at cars that were driving by. He was yeah. kind of makes me remind me of, you know, you, he just liked to get in trouble. Oh, yeah. Okay, But I said to him, you know, that sometime that pot's not going to work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you're going to have to take something else. And he's like, bullshit. Um, but he did. He did end up having mm-hmm. to take something else. Do do you agree with that? That pot just isn't enough.
1: No, no, there's plenty of people that just smoke weed.
0: But are they addicts, or do they just do it to calm, just to?
1: I think plenty of people smoke weed that aren't addicts. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, but so uh, that's what I'm saying.
0: Like, there's usually uh, some gateway, right, to a drug addiction.
1: Hmm. I don't really see it as a gateway. I just see it as people being addicts or not addicts. Okay. So there are people that try Coke in college and they don't become drug addicts. Right. When an addict tries Coke, they get addicted to it. So is it the Coke or is it just the drug addict? So you have two people that did the same behavior. One became a drug addict, one didn't. Mm -hmm. So is it the Coke that's the gateway or is it just that, you know, you, whenever you try a drug, you're 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 you know playing Russian roulette because you don't know you might not know if you're an addict. Even some people say, "Oh, I don't have an addictive behavior," and then they try opiates and they become addicted. So there are also people that aren't addicts that try opiates who don't even develop habits. They don't even like the way it makes them feel.
0: Right, right.
1: I've, smoked, I've had my friends smoke crack with me, and they were like, "This is horrible. I never want to do this again." Right, right. So I don't think that it's the drug at all because i think the real drug that people try is alcohol but so what
0: i was saying and see he never never ever did alcohol mm -hmm. but what i was saying was so we already know that there was addiction genes okay Mm -hmm. period
1: yeah but everyone Um, has addiction genes you might have them really close but it's like everyone has addiction genes. There are people who their parents are addicts and it makes I think them not. To me, want to
0: be though, addict. it's kind of like cancer. Um, I think every, has everybody cancer. has cancer cells in them too, but there are certain things that can bring them out.
1: Yeah. So it's like, yeah, of course. And that's just like addiction. So it's like there's not one group of people that's more susceptible than another. If everyone has the same cancer cells, just there are certain things that can bring them out. I mean,
0: right. Right. And so that's what I'm saying. It
1: could be genetic. It can be chance. It could be whatever. Like, you know, when, when addiction happens, it just happens. And I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of benefit to spending time and thinking about why, you know, like when I get a nail in my car, when I bring it to a mechanic, they don't try to figure out where I got it. Right.
0: Right. They're not like, wait,
1: where were you driving? Were you like going this fast or? whatever they're just like here let's just patch and take the nail out so it's like when you think you're an addict or other people think you're an addict it's already happened like what benefit do you get from trying to figure it out maybe from a preventative measure but at the same time it's like the only way to prevent addiction is to never try any drug ever not even alcohol that's the only way to prevent addiction with drugs but if you're an addict you might get addicted to something else
0: Right it can be anything.
1: Yeah, and it's like and some people just throw around the word addiction. Mine,
0: mine's sugar.
1: So. Yeah, but that's not an addiction in oh, my opinion.
0: Oh, but it is. I I promise you it is with me. If if yeah, I get so, totally upset, the only thing that can calm mm-hmm. me down is sugar and I get ranting and raving and you somebody better go get me chocolate.
1: Mhm. And yeah, but in my that, opinion, this is just my opinion. In my opinion, what, what qualifies an addiction is if something is affecting your housing, living situation, your finances, and your commitments. So that, if I'm saying, that's not hey,
0: affecting that. But hey it's I like got to go health. to work.
1: Hey, I got to go to work. Okay. Well, no, I didn't go because I'm eating sweets or whatever. Yeah, it might affect your health, but so does watching TV. So does listening okay. to music. So it is, right,
0: I'm buying it.
1: You know, so it's like everything affects your health. Not everyone walks around eating freaking raw kale juice, you know. Yeah. So it's like, um, to me, people throw around throw around the word addiction all the time. So your body might be dependent on it, where if you don't have sugar, you get anxious and you get irritable. But a dependency is not an addiction. And that dependency push came to shove if someone said, hey, uh, do you want to be, you want to have your kids or you want sugar? You'll probably pick your kids. Yep. When you have an addiction, you do not pick your children.
0: I know. And and I understand that the addiction actually, once once you're addicted, that's the addiction that takes over.
1: Exactly. So it's like, you know, there might be a part of you that struggles to break a habit. Mm-hmm. So people have habits and they have dependencies but addiction is a dark dark word and it should only be used to describe addiction because people will say things like oh I'm not addicted to alcohol okay but if you don't have it you don't go to work oh well I guess so well you know it's different
0: so then what do you have to say about functioning addicts
1: everyone functions at some degree, someone functions more than someone else.
0: I'm talking about they still go to work, they still go to school. You know? I don't use the word
1: function because it's like if I'm homeless on the street, my function is that I fucking go and look through the trash and I look for receipts and then I go to Kmart and or Walmart and I fucking pawn it and then I get something else. So it's like I'm still doing shit to get drugs. Okay. So- so it's like, there might be some people that function higher at a higher level than someone who's digging through yeah. the trash.
0: Yeah, I hear them. But it's coming. like,
1: you know, oh, I'm a functioning addict. People say that to say like, oh, at least I'm functioning. But when you're an addict, there's like a spiritual thing that, that goes on, whether or not you have a car and a job or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, a functioning addict, it's harder to treat because they're in denial about being addicted because they have the illusion of being in control so when you have a high function you have this illusion of control it's not real control it's just like this fake thing that oh, i have a lexus and i have a nice townhouse and i have a 401k so i'm not as bad as this person
0: okay so you're really intriguing me um Especially since I've had so many professionals, mm-hmm. doctors, the whole nine yards, counselors, whatever that only counsel in drug addiction and so on and mm-hmm. so forth are saying the opposite of what you're saying. But you're you're an addict. And mm-hmm. so you're talking about you and what you've learned. And it's Yeah, very I mean injured. the word
1: function is like, oh, like people do that to to separate themselves from other addicts. So it's like, oh, I'm a functioning addict. Like, nah, bro, you smoke crack. Doesn't matter if you're smoking in a Maserati or if you're smoking under a bridge, like you're smoking crack. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't drink every day. Okay, you binge. That's actually worse. Right. You know?
0: So I guess what I'm saying is how, how then, if, if you don't find out, like you said, uh-huh. you know, I don't believe in like finding the root of the problem that's not you know because like they're not going to find out where i get my screw out of my tire or whatever so what is it that actually that 12-step program does to that's what i'm so to it, it, it
1: inspires on a spiritual level somebody who is totally closed-minded to the possibility or the desire to want to get clean Okay. One, it's either impossible or two, I don't even want to. Right. And for some reason, when you hear someone else's message, not talking when the word you, Mm -hmm. they're talking the word me and I, they're talking about themselves. Right. When you see somebody else who has a similar story or something you can relate to, you know, what comes from the heart reaches the heart. Mm -hmm. So when you hear people genuinely sharing their story and it reaches your ears and goes down and hits your heart, it sparks the desire and the hope of the possibility of that could happen for you. And that's the difference. Okay. That's why the program works. That's what the program does. Because like I said, I didn't really necessarily want to get clean, nor did I want to even get clean for a long period of time. I definitely didn't want to drink, uh, stop drinking. I definitely didn't want to stop smoking weed. You know, I still wanted to smoke crack here and there. And I went to a meeting and I heard, I went to meetings for months and I heard this one guy share and he had such a good message. He was so funny. He had me laughing and dying. And after I heard him speak, I drove home with zero doubt in my mind that I was going to stay clean and that it was possible. And I just knew that this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And that worked. I haven't used since
0: so have you, so, have you interviewed so, that guy
1: yeah he works for me he's for my close That's friend yeah amazing so we're still close i tell him all the time you helped save my life but the thing is is that so that motivation mm-hmm. is really great and it's a beautiful thing but if you don't water your plant it, it's going to die so it's right. like you know when you get motivated to go to the gym. People get motivated all the time. And then what happens? A week later, they stop going. So you have to keep yourself motivated. You have to set goals. You have to have commitments. When things get boring, you got to switch it up. So you constantly got to be you know, doing something to stay interested, to stay motivated in your recovery. Because a commitment will push you further than any motivation because you have a, uh, an agreement to do certain things so that so basically for the rest then,
0: of your life you're a work in progress
1: yeah and everybody is but the thing is there's yeah. so many other diseases that are the same way right so when you get cancer when your cancer goes away no one says you're cured they say you're in remission you could come back at any time come back and get a checkup you know so it's like the disease is still there and it's just like the gym if you stop going to the gym the results are going to wither away so this is something that needs a constant reprieve and a constant, you know, every day when I wake up, it's like day one is day zero, you know, so I can't just say like, oh, well, I'm done now, you know,
0: you know, something people think that's too.
1: weird. But like, imagine telling someone like, oh, you still go to church. That's so weird. Haven't you been going for years?
0: Yeah, I don't like no one
1: says that to people who go to church, like they no. go to church every week.
0: No, they don't.
1: But they say it to addicts all the time. Oh, you're yeah. still going to those meetings? It's a sense of community. It's a sense of belonging. There's a purpose, you know?
0: So with with my end of it, I because I wasn't able to be in your shoes, or I wasn't in your shoes, to actually feel the things that was happening to my body, to my mind, feel what mm-hmm. you're feeling. But I watched everything my parts on the other end so I actually counsel with the family members Mm -hmm. and 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 help them not to well first of all just let them talk and get everything out um, and also not to have not to enable I don't yep. know if you agree with something like that or not. If people, you know, it yeah, sounds absolutely. like your parents yeah. did a lot of things. Some people may say they were enabling you by, by getting you out. Um, but I don't think so. It doesn't sound so, like it.
1: So I also was an adolescent. So I believe I, if I was 18, my dad would have kicked me out of the house and rightfully so. Right. So, you know, I think my parents were pretty strict and um, pretty. And pretty it sounds like they
0: did a really good job as much as they could.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My parents really try to, they were definitely making it as difficult as possible for me to use. You know. Um but it's so what, someone... do you have
0: suggestions for parents then of younger kids? They need
1: to, they need the to younger... go to they need to go to Al Anon, they need to go to Narnon, and they need to go to therapy.
0: And that's so, that's so why definitely... I
1: Yeah. I have a family I have a family friend who all she does is call me about her son. And I was like, you need to go to therapy. She's like, and she's like, oh, well, I, you know, I understand. And I was like, you need to go to therapy. You need to go to an addiction specialist to talk to you about boundaries and codependency.
0: Right.
1: And because addiction is your son's problem, but codependency is your yeah, right. problem. Right. So go to codependency and addiction go like, you know, peas in a pod. it's like peanut butter and jelly. Mm -hmm. so when you're so wrapped up about your son's recovery and their addiction and it's destroying your life it's codependency and you need to talk to someone about that and you can't control what he does you're never going to get them clean they're going to get clean on their own and the only thing you can do is is have a strong plan on if he does this we're going to do that if this happens we're going to do this not some emotional bullshit of like Oh, well, he really was trying this time. It's like it doesn't need to be emotional. We're going to write out what we're going to do. If he uses again, we're kicking him out of the house. If he fucking steals from us, we're not talking to him for six months. You know? So it's like, you need to have a clear plan. That's not emotional. This is what we agreed to do. We're explaining the agreement to you. If you don't follow the agreement, there are going to be consequences. Just like when we write up a lease. Hey, if you miss your first day of rent you have five days to remedy it if not you're charged 150 dollars 100. you don't call how your many landlord. times and you're out yeah you don't call your landlord with a fucking sob story but our parents we do that with because we know that if we tell them some sad story they're gonna bend the rules you know if i had a lease with my mom i would she's not gonna kick me out of the house she would be like, oh, okay, you could pay it next week. But if I was a stranger, she'd have no problem kicking me out.
0: So just so, out of curiosity, do your parents go to al No.
1: I mean, when I got clean, my parents, um, I think my mom went like once or twice. Mm-hmm. But um, no, my parents, my dad wasn't really into going, wasn't down to go to therapy. My mom didn't, my mom's more like a religious, spiritual person. So to her, she like went to church which is okay but they probably yeah but they probably should have early on I just don't think they knew anything about that my parents didn't know who to call there was nothing like my parents look like, embarrassed on what to do and a lot of people would think of it as a behavioral issue so a lot of people would, like send them to boot camp and my dad would like we sent them to military school four years ago you know yeah So,
0: so tell so tell me where you're at today
1: Okay, uh, so today I own and operate drug and alcohol rehab. Um, we have three locations in Florida and two locations in California. We've been open for about almost seven years. Um, that's basically what I do day in and day out is just own and operate the drug and alcohol rehab.
0: But you got three of them.
1: Uh, we have five of them. Five of them. Okay, yeah.
0: That's amazing. And yeah,
1: cool.
0: yeah, I bet it is. And you probably put a lot of hours in that. And then you're doing the podcast. I'm here right now. I'm
1: at the office right now.
0: Yeah. And then on top of that, you're doing your podcast. Yep. And that's so you're helping a lot mm-hmm. of people.
1: Well, I'm an addict, so I don't do well doing it. I can do one or two things well, but I can do a hundred things. So it's like, I believe that addicts are like over over hyper or or whatever like it takes a lot for us to be stimulated Mm -hmm. like I don't get stimulated from going to work and going home like I need to find something so interesting that I could work on all the time nonstop. you know know, that's
0: interesting because I find a lot of um, addicts that work out a lot
1: yeah they do everything a lot so but I mean that's that's one of
0: their go-to's
1: yeah, we work out a lot. Everything we do, we do it pretty hardcore. So it's like you know, if we play video games, we get really good at video games. If we do acting, like every intervention story starts out with, well, you know, Megan was an amazing piano player, and then she did heroin, or so and so was the best, you know, water polo player. You know, so it's like we have talent, we have creative uh, creative ability, and we have a hell of a drive. The thing is, is that we have this empty hole in our spirit that even when we accomplish all these things it's never enough and even when we're doing great in school and we have all the friends it just doesn't feel like it's working and then we find drugs and man it is just like um, a recipe that once like an addict hits drugs it's just like a match made in heaven it fits so well together and we just freaking use but the interesting thing is that when an addict meets recovery it's also the same type of thing where if we really surrender and allow it to we'll find that recovery is really so there's so much things to do in recovery Mm -hmm. so it really keeps us motivated so instead of saying i'm not going to do drugs we just say we're going to go to a meeting so most people try to destroy a habit by not doing something but your brain doesn't work that way you know so instead of saying i'm not going to eat pizza it'd be better to say i'm going to eat salads i'm going to eat apples i'm going to like Instead of focusing on what you're not going to eat, focus on what you're going to eat. It's
0: going to be more positive.
1: Yeah. So in recovery, like, you know, we get service commitments. We work the steps. We have a sponsor. We have sponsees. We have a sponsorship family. We have conventions. We have meditation meetings. We have so much going on where if you try to take a ball out of a pit bull's mouth, you'll never do it. But But if you give them a new ball, they'll let go of the ball and go play with a new ball. So what most people are doing addicts and family members or whatever, is they're trying to rip the ball out of a pit bull's mouth. You're never going to do that. You got to give the pit bull a juicy steak. You'll forget about the fucking ball. Right. For me recovery is the juicy steak. I like that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, so you have activities going on there. It sounds yeah, like so so we out.
1: have, uh, we have a volleyball court at our Lake Worth facility. We have basketball court. Uh, we have a, a massage therapist, we do chiropractic services, um, you see your therapist on a weekly basis, you have group uh, individuals, uh, daily, uh, primary group with uh, your caseload, um, everyone's a master level clinician, you know, you see the doctor as needed once or twice a week, you know, so That's we do all amazing. levels of care from inpatient to outpatient to detox, res, sober living, everything.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. So, so do you have connections with sober houses?
1: We own our own sober houses. You have your own? Yeah, we have like nine. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. I, yeah, I hear 20, a lot, a lot yeah, of people that I've on. talked to have said they don't even want to leave them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I mean, if they're nice. I mean, we only charge like $150 a week in rent. So right now it's like, where else are you going to live? And then or houses are nice and it's clean and people get along and you got your own little family there. So we have yeah. people living in our graduate for years. Yeah, it's awesome.
0: Um, now, what do you think of something that I know California has started doing is opening up dry bars?
1: What, so I they, what that is?
0: Yeah, um, I don't know how good of an idea it is, but it's they seem to like it. So you have the bar atmosphere as far as pool and music and darts, no and, there? but no alcohol.
1: I mean, I probably wouldn't go to that. You know what I mean? I'm not like, so I'm also not an alcoholic. So alcohol doesn't like trigger me, mm-hmm. but maybe someone who's an alcoholic, that would be a nice place for them to go. But at the same time, it's like part of recovery is not about I mean, everyone's so different. Like I have friends that refuse to go to bars and I have friends that go to bars all the time and they dance or whatever to a certain point. So like maybe after a year clean or two years clean, they started to go to concerts and bars or whatever, you know, but I have no opinion on it. Like if people like it and it's cool, I think that's totally fine. You know?
0: Yeah. I'm just a little confused about it. It Like it could still may, maybe trigger something. Mm-hmm. That's all.
1: Yeah, I mean, so can watching a freaking TV show.
0: You're right, you're right. So
1: it's like, you know.
0: I think it's whatever atmosphere that you liked at the time that you're doing stuff that could maybe probably trigger something.
1: I mean, so could a song, so could talking to someone on the street. What triggers me out of anything is like when I'm on a red light and I see a homeless person that I know has crack, you know, like, so I've been out, I've been out to bars and nightclubs and I had, you know, I was out with like this, a friend of mine, he's like young and he's successful. And, you know, he likes to drink and party. And he's like, dude, I cannot believe you could be here with all this temptation. And I look around, and I'm like, bro, none of this shit tempts me at all. I've never been drunk in a club ever. I got clean at 17. I'm the kid who smokes crack with the homeless guy around the fucking corner of the gas station. You know, so when I'm at a red light and I see a guy with no teeth, Looking for fucking five dollars. I know I could hop out and be like, "Bro, I have two hundred bucks. Like, take me to go get crack," and me and this guy will smoke crack for fucking five hours. So I don't. I personally don't get tempted with drinking and partying because I never did that. I'm like a, you know, right. five so crack. I'm a street kid that that yeah. So it's like to me that doesn't that doesn't trigger me. And just because it triggers me or reminds me of using doesn't mean I should stop doing it. It's like, sometimes you just got to get over shit. What am I supposed to do? Cover my ears every time someone talks about drugs and be all scared about all this shit. Like your first year to five years, you should really avoid anything that is something like that. Like people. Well, yeah, I was
0: going to say, because in the 12 steps, I mean, they even tell you like, you have to let, you have to let go of those things that, you know, some people obviously Mm -hmm. right
1: yeah but i have a guy that i sponsor who's an alcoholic he's been clean 10 years he's been working at a bar since he's been clean wow so in the in the literature it also says we don't tell people where to work right i don't tell people where to work i don't tell people where to go i only talk about what i do so i have a, a guy that i've been sponsoring for years he's got over 10 years his drug of choice is alcohol he's been a bartender for the whole 10 years So it's not my job to police people and say you shouldn't be doing this or whatever. I think people need to be careful. I think some some things are unnecessary risks. Would I suggest that you go work at a bar? No, that's fucking crazy. But there's exceptions to every rule. And there's nothing in the book that you're going to say that tells people to do anything. These are all a a cumulative, suggestive.
0: Right. You need to get a drink.
1: I actually have to leave soon because it's five oh nine. Okay, but okay. I don't know if you want um, to wrap it up.
0: Okay, so how do you want to wrap this up? Because I I could go on and on with you. This has been really interesting. So thank you, um, and I think my listeners are because you've given a totally different perspective than a whole lot of other people have. And I I, I love what you're doing, I really do. Sure. So would you like to share information then? um about where people can go to i do you, you know about the nine nine eight eight number now
1: yes i do that's like a okay. uh, new like mental health hotline right
0: yeah i think that's a good thing too
1: yeah it's awesome um,
0: yeah so i i do so, recommend that but go ahead and recommend
1: yeah so if anybody wants drug and alcohol rehab they could go to unitedrecoveryproject.com uh we have facilities in florida and california uh website has a 1-800 number. That's a 24-7 hotline. We do take most insurance. So if people don't know that they could file FMLA if they have jobs and, you know, basically tell your job that you need to take a 30-day leave. And by law, they have to kind of respect that. So a lot of people don't know about FMLA or how medical leave works. So, you know, if they call that number, they can get help. And it's unitedrecoveryproject.com.
0: And that's like, you can be anywhere in the United States and call that, right? Anywhere.
1: Yep. 24-7.
0: That's, that's amazing what you're doing. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Okay.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on. Oh,
1: thank you so much, Christy.
0: All right. Have
1: thank a good one.
0: You. You, you too. Bye. And that's another wrap. Thank you, all of my listeners, for listening to not just this podcast, but... Going back and listening to the beginning and all the way through, one of the ways that I suggest you do that, this is just what I do because there's a lot of people that I follow with their podcast. I'm a big person on supporting other podcasters. And today that seems like it's just more the popular thing to do than to sit and watch movies or or whatever. There's so many things you can learn out there. So for me, I usually put one on, I go to Spotify, and I choose one that's longer, and I play it while I'm driving somewhere. So that's just a suggestion. I also would like to ask you, please, if you're done listening to this, if you'll rate us, which is up by that little star thing. And also, if you would hit that bell button up there, and that will notify you then every time we drop a new episode. Please share this as much as possible. These podcasts are to help other people to not only get hope, but also to maybe Listen to some of the ways that these struggles were conquered, and maybe they can try them. Remember also that what is said in all these podcasts are just the individual's words. And I don't mean that in a minimal way at all, but if you need medical advice, you need to get that. If you need to seek help, you need to get that. Thank you so much again. And hopefully you'll come back and listen to us. We love having you.